award-winning Tennessee Wildcast is on the air with the latest on hunting, fishing, boating, wildlife watching, and all things outdoors. Make welcome your host, drummer and outdoor expert novice, Jason Harmon. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching, for listening. Another great show lined up for you today. We're still at the Region 3 office, so we've had a, a great round of shows here, and we got one last one uh for you it's going to be a great one we're talking about musky today that is a very cool topic i'm excited for this one i've learned a lot <laughs> yeah i'm excited too uh, i heard mr mark thurman uh, give this presentation uh, at the commission meeting a few months ago and i thought oh, that'd be a fun show we need to get him in here so i came to him we're in his territory here and it's going to be a fun conversation. So, Mark, the Region 3 Fisheries Program Manager, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here today and talk about muskie. <laughs> muskie. <Yeah. laughs> a big fish. Uh, fun to catch out here. I haven't had an opportunity to go after them. I want to very soon. Uh, you need to get out there. Yeah. So, it, uh, and they're also called what? Jackfish? They go by a lot of different names, and regionally they have different names. In this area, they were known as jackfish. Hmm. Um, and and it's still today, you know, you'll you'll meet people that, that fish for them in this area and they're after jackfish. Jackfish. So it's kind of interesting. Interesting. That may be the title of the show. <laughs> and we could probably do a whole show on fish names. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good one. Yeah. Well, what is it they call a, a fisheries biologist? Oh, a fish head. <laughs> <laughs> All kinds of names. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's get into it. Um, I guess to start off with learning about Mark. I, you've been on the show before, but give us a, a background of yourself and, and your work with the agency. Okay. Well, I've worked with the agency since 1986. Started my career in fisheries. I uh, spent some time in our biodiversity division working on state wildlife action plans and conservation planning. And then worked my way back to fisheries as my in my current position as a fisheries program manager and manage the Region 3 fisheries program. We, we cover a 24 county area um, where we're managing fisheries in big reservoirs, small impoundments, all the streams uh, all over the place. We've got people out there working on managing fisheries mm -hmm. and fishing for the public. Awesome. No and small feet, huh? No, no. <laughs> For sure. I, I was, while you were talking, I remember I was thinking back uh, the time we worked together on the Roaring River mm -hmm. uh, and, and pulling out that low head dam and, and creating better flow mm -hmm. and better fishery there. I just got back. We went and fished there a few weeks ago. It was mm. awesome. Yeah. yeah so. That was a neat project, yeah, wasn't it? it to was. see the change. And so you've gone back and you've seen with that, that dam gone uh -huh. and kind of the river returned to, to, to its just natural form. Uh, it's pretty neat to see. Yeah. Yeah, I remember Mark saying you don't often gain habitat when it comes to water. No. But his work and the removal of that, and I know it wasn't just your work, but you were no, really no, big. No, there was there were a lot of partners <laughs> in that, but that was a cool project. Yeah, but you were big in the implementation and seeing that through and, and gaining habitat for fish. Um, and I know more studies have gone on there to look at the oh, movement yeah. of fish but mm -hmm. we'll, we'll get to that another yeah. time i want to <laughs> i want to jump in and i want to learn about musky because yes. there's it, it's such a a neat fish and there are some misconceptions about it that will eventually get here but i, I want to start off with something just um just asking the question what would people be surprised to learn about your work because it is it is re who's a fisheries biologist mm. in life i mean really there are so few it's 
seems. And I think what what would people be surprised to hear about? Well, it's it, like I said earlier, it, it's just been it's really neat work to be involved in. But I think one of the things, or, or many of the things that would surprise people uh, about our work, my work, is is all of the things that are taking place to manage fishing, to provide fishing opportunities. Uh, there are so many moving parts, and, and people in, on, in my program, our program, just all the time, there's always stuff going on, and, and, and it's so cool that people are out there enjoying fishing and you know like for some of the the hatchery supported fisheries all the work that goes into getting those fish to the water Mm -hmm. um i just sometimes i wish people knew how much work went into it and and all of our people are so dedicated aren't they to doing the best job they can and they do a wonderful job Mm -hmm. on all all of this work so i think that would surprise people just just what all goes on to manage fishing in Tennessee. I, uh, I love reflecting their passion, and it's so evident. I'll never forget it was some little fish, and, and I don't know where we were in the region, but some little fish, and, and someone was like, let me see that. It has three scales between the eye, and they knew exactly what it was, you know, mm. because that knowledge is there and oh. that passion is there. So I love that you talk about that. So much goes on behind the scenes. It's not just for, for our anglers. It's, it's putting a hook in the water, mm-hmm. but it's so much more than that for fisheries mark and thanks for reflecting that i think that's great yeah i think from the top down i mean even from our our chiefs and our fisheries division down Mm -hmm. to the techs who are working at the on the lowest levels care they come to work because they care and because they want to make a better fishery yeah dissolved oxygen water temperature all these things that perseverance all these terms get thrown out there within the agency and they're just common vernacular to us but (laughs) the general public um i i hope that that that's reflected like whoo there's some work that's going on yeah so so let's jump right in with the muskie there it is a cool fish and for me i'm just gonna admit it kind of scary kind of oh. kind of loch ness monster you don't lip it like a bass that's for sure. <laughs> it's the teeth i mean if you're going to talk about muskie you know one of the one of the things that you're going to think of first it's the teeth. Mm-hmm. So, so I want to hear about the natural history, everything about the muskie. But would you describe uh-huh. <laughs> for someone listening? Okay, the teeth. To start there. <laughs> the yeah. teeth. We'll start at the front um, <laughs> with the teeth again. Uh, but it's a really, it's a long, slim fish. Um, you know, the colors of it can vary from a, from like a, just the olive base with really no markings to <laughs> having vertical bars all the way through the body. Uh, that is kind of the, those, those uh, fish with the vertical bars are really, um, that's kind of tied in with the Ohio River Basin uh, uh, strain mm. of muskie, which is what was native to here. And, hmm. and you know, interesting. they can get pretty big. They can get up to 50 inches and, um, you know, are are just a really prized sport fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like, it's kind of like walleye and brook trout where, you know, people sometimes are surprised that those are native fish to Tennessee, but the walleye and the, and the muskie, yeah, they were native to the Cumberland and Tennessee river basins. Very cool. Tell us about that life cycle of that fish then. Okay. So, um, they're spring spawners. 
They'll make runs up rivers to spawning areas. Uh, they need clean habitat. They need clean gravel uh, on the river bottoms. They associate with uh, aquatic vegetation and woody debris. Um, and so they'll, they'll start moving in, in March. And when water temperatures get in the low 50s, that's when their spawning period starts. And that's kind of when you'll see numbers of fish around each other. Uh, they don't build nests like a bass or a bluegill. Mm. They're, they're spawning around habitat. Hmm. Um, and then, um, um, you know, after, after the spawning period, you see, you fi see small fish out in um, early, early summer. You'll start seeing some, some small fish uh, four or five inches long. Um, and then they move on through their, through their uh, life history. So I would assume, like other fish, it's really dependent on how much they eat, water temperatures, as to how quickly they grow. Sure. But when we talk about a 50-inch fish, yeah. a, let me a toothy 50-inch mm -hmm. fish, how long would someone expect so, it to take? So, like with our, our regulations, we've got our, the, we have two, two types of regulations. We've got a trophy regulation, which is a 50-inch uh, minimum length limit, one fish a day. Mm. And then we have a 36-inch uh, length limit one fish a day, which is our statewide regulation. And that's really targeted at that, at that time when that species sexually matures and is able to spawn. Um, and they can reach that size depending on those, those factors that you mentioned. Three to four, five, six years, they can wow. get into that range. Hmm. And, um, and then those bigger fish, you know, those are old fish. They, you know, they can, they can live to 20 years. Hmm. Um, and, and those bigger fish, you know, once they get past that 36 inches, the growth slows down and you start seeing a lot of overlap in the ages of the fish. Uh, but those big fish are old fish, um, fish that have been caught and handled properly and released in, in many cases. Um, so, yeah, just, uh, you know, uh, that's just that's kind of their their age structure and, and things related to, to the ages of those fish. Yeah, amazing. Well, people love to catch them. People love to chase them. It's, it's the sport that people love. But do they eat them as well? I mean, you talk about taking them. There's a limit. So why is there a limit if people aren't eating them? Are they eating them? People do eat them. Mm -hmm. I've never had muskie. I, mean, Pe I don't know. People do eat them. Um, I think that's more of a historical thing. Okay. Uh, they're much more now. Uh, I think I saw it in a, in a book where they're more the wall than the table mm. now yeah um and so i don't think that they're a they're a food fish really uh with those trophy limits they're typically uh designed for places where we have self-sustaining populations that aren't hatchery supported and um they uh also um trying to think here like uh the uh the, those larger, the longer length regulations, some of those are in place because of consulting with the people who are fishing for them. Mm. And that's how prized they are. It's like, we don't, we don't want to harvest them and we, we want to do catch and release and yeah. we want to take care of these fish. Well, that shows you where public input is, is welcomed and oh, yeah. we take that into effect when we're setting regulations and when things I, like that. When I first got in this job, we had a meeting here with a group of muskie anglers and they came from all over the state. Oh. to meet with us and, and, and talk about their experiences, to learn about the management that, that we have going on and have had going on, to learn about some of the history. Mm. And, you know, it was where we had conversations about future management as well. So, um, yeah, engaging 
with our stakeholders is a big part of that process. So, so I mean, it's fascinating to think of a fish living that old, and I knew that, but it, it still amazes me. Um, there's there's some misconceptions out there about what muskie are eating, and I want to learn about what are they eating <laughs> and, and how, um, how you all go about monitoring um, to ensure healthy populations, not just of muskie, but of, of Tennessee species. Okay. Well, I'll start with um, food habits. Um, they're like a lot, of, a lot of fish. When they first hatch, they're eating uh, inverts. And then by three to five weeks, they switch over to very small fish. As they grow, their preference for prey items, the size grows as well. Um, as adults, um, they really prefer soft raid fishes like gizzard shad, red horse, suckers. Um, and, and there is a lot of misconception about the uh, kind of what they eat. And they eat everything. Mm. And they eat twice their weight <laughs> every day. Uh. Um, if only I could. Uh, but, you know, just like our work, so in the places that we're managing muskie, we're also managing other species and we're monitoring all those populations and keeping track of them. And we don't see negative effects with having muskie in the mix. So, you know, in places where we've got rock bass and smallmouth, you see really good fishing for those as well. And that's the case across the state where we have musky fisheries. Mm. Yeah, I think that's important. No predator ever ever eats all of its prey. Right. Um, there's a natural cycle that takes place, but you're monitoring, you're not seeing those impacts, and you're seeing what they truly do eat. Um, so, so you touched on a little bit about natural reproduction, and, and I want to talk about that, but Tell us about the distribution of muskie in Tennessee, and then and then we'll talk maybe a little bit about stocking and mm -hmm. and where um, where that's taking place. Okay, uh, so the historical range I mentioned earlier uh, that they're native to the Cumberland and Tennessee River basins. In the Cumberland, uh, there's pretty good evidence that they existed all the way down, you know, towards the Harpeth River. River uh, in the Tennessee basin, all the way down to the Chattanooga area along Walden's Ridge. Yeah, you know, that was all new All the way to down to Chattanooga. Wow. That's cool, didn't know um, that. You know, and a lot of that is all pre-impoundment before all the big reservoirs were built. And of course, when those were built, that was a factor that kind of limited their distribution <laughs> and started having some impacts. Um, and then now, we've restored muskie to several places like in the Caney Fork watershed, the Emory River watershed, um, where they're self-sustaining, we're not you're not doing stocking work. Uh, the Del Hollow, uh, Del, Del Hollow population was established in the 50s, and, mm -hmm. and it's really only been stocked a few times. Hmm. They're there, wow. um, so that's that's that restoration success that we've had, and now we have active management going on as well in the French Broad watershed, uh, in the Coe watershed, which mm. is a fairly new fishery in our area here uh, cool. on Parksville Reservoir and seeing some really positive benefits there there yeah. and or positive results. Um, and then Melton Hill is one that's been, you know, that's where the state record came from and it's it's a it's a known place mm. uh, on Melton Hill and one of the one of probably one of the early places where where we saw the success in in, in musky fisheries. So um, yeah, it's it's kind of a 
kind of an ongoing process. You know, we've got places that we've got self-sustaining populations, and, and that's always a, a goal, you know, is if we can do that, that's great. Um, so, uh, and then we have places that we're still working on it. That, that stocking, our state goes to tremendous efforts um, when it comes to ensuring fish are in the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, when looking at genetics, we've talked about that with mm-hmm. invasive Alabama bass and Florida bass. Um, we go to extreme measures to, to ensure good science is put in place. Talk to us a little bit about that with um, stocking muskie from start to finish. What's that look like? Well... It's like a lot of, of stocking <laughs> processes and culture processes. You know, it starts with, with obtaining broodstock from places. Who, where do you get broodstock? <laughs> right now with, with muskie, we uh, use fish from Kentucky and their, wow. their system. They've got, a, they've got a great hatchery system in place mm-hmm. to raise muskie. We don't so much, but this is a kind of a, a, a side note. It's, it's like there's a, a network in the southeast uh, of fish and wildlife agencies that have hatchery systems mm-hmm. and they all work together on yeah. things and you know there are there are times when we can provide fish for them and then in turn they provide fish for us mm-hmm. so our fish are coming from kentucky for the most part some fish do come from north carolina and there have been some fish from the midwest that have that have been brought in um, do you ever collect <clears throat> from our own systems to use? This we haven't at this point, okay. but we, we probably will. That's kind of on the horizon uh, for us uh, in terms of muskie management, understanding what genetics we have out there mm-hmm. now, because historically we had Midwest fish uh, introduced and, and stocked in places. Um, the places that we're seeing the success, the... Of, of self-sustaining populations right. has been using the uh, Ohio River Basin strain of fish, and that's what Kentucky focuses on. Okay. So to get back to the process, you collect your brood fish, you bring them in, you spawn them out, you keep your fish and your, your hatchlings in a pond as long as you can, and then when it's time to move them, uh, you start loading them up on hatchery trucks and getting them to the sites. As fast as you um, can, right? And these can range anywhere from... I've seen them as large as 11, 12 inches, wow. um, and, uh, and, and then as small as seven or eight. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, did I cover it? That's kind of in a, in yeah. a nutshell, kind of how, how things work, and so, it's like a lot of other species. So I think you've touched on this too, but how are you determining at this point in time where to stock them? So we know you mm-hmm. want them in the native range, but how are you all determining where you're going to stock a muskie? We're definitely working off the native range, um, and we determine where to stock. Like I mentioned, the places that are self-sustaining, we've, we've documented that we've got natural reproduction and seeing the small fish, so we're not stocking there. Mm-hmm. So that means because we don't have a ton of fish to work with, mm-hmm. uh, they're going into places where we're trying to establish fisheries. And so that's really... Um, you know, it's up to really region three and four, uh, middle Tennessee to upper East Tennessee uh, falls within that range and are working on, on musky fisheries. And a lot of it's riverine habitat, although we've got some, some, uh, some reservoir sites mm-hmm. uh, like Parksville, I mentioned, and, and Melton Hill. Um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of how it, that's kind of the process is, is us determining 
uh, letting the managers determine what the suitability is. Is the prey there or is the public good with it? Um, I know in recent uh, establishing new sites, there's been some uh, surveying of the public to understand what their attitudes were, and that's always important. That hasn't always been the case with all the all the fisheries, but that that is a part of it. And it probably makes sense that having a better understanding that they're not out there eating other sports fish mm -hmm. necessarily. Right, um, right. And, and as people learn that, then they're more open to a new fishery and having something else to fish for. I that's, think so. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, uh, I'm watching our time, Jason. Yeah. There's so much we can dive oh, into. Oh, gosh, we're running out of time. Thank um, you for watching. <laughs> but, uh, hey, let's jump down to just... Just um, talking a little bit about that, how you're seeing the the, the stocking of this fish in mm -hmm. these historic ranges and what that has meant to the communities around them. Yeah, because people are wanting to catch them. People are coming down here to catch them, aren't mm -hmm. they? Oh, they are. That we, we have people coming from all over the country to fish here. You know, Tennessee is a de destination for a lot of species. Mm -hmm. yes. and, and Tennessee is great. <laughs> Tennessee is a place to be. Uh, we've got great wintertime fishing, so a lot of the folks in the Midwest and the Northeast looking for a, a break from winter can come down here and fish yeah um and it's like it's the story that we see all over the state where you know our fisheries have impacts on local economies mm -hmm. um places like mcminville have branded themselves home of the southern muskie they host <laughs> cool. a fly fishing only tournament uh there uh a group host a tournament there where people from all over the country come to fly fish for muskie um and just have a big time down yeah. in the area um and uh you know seeing that kind of thing happen and then even the the ownership and the stewardship around the resource mm -hmm. is is a really neat thing to see um and it's yeah it's it, it and it's happening um in other places where people are realizing the value of those fisheries and 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 trying to make sure that they capitalize on it with their branding so uh, yeah, the McMinnville story is a neat story. It is. It's a neat town to, to visit, too. Yeah. So, like, the folks that are coming down here, they're coming during the winter. And you talked about spring spawn up here earlier in the show. When is the best time to catch these fish? Is it during that spring spawn? I know we, you mentioned <coughs> not, to, not to fish those warmer days. They're, yeah. It stresses the fish out, maybe, or harder on the fish. But is it pretty much year-round you can catch them? Yeah, you can catch fish year-round. I mean... You know, if you've got spot fish actively spawning and you're, you're somebody that's got an ethic around not taking advantage of that and letting them do their thing yeah. and leaving them alone, that's probably a good idea. But for the most part, it's kind of year-round fishing. Until you get to those summer months, if water temperatures get, you know, mid-70s, upper 70s, and definitely at 80, time to back off. Okay. And, and muskie, people who fish for muskie are mindful of that. Mm -hmm. The people that are targeting those fish go to great lengths to keep them keep them healthy as they're handling them and make sure that a released fish is a live fish sure mm -hmm. yeah you, you uh, we mentioned it before we started but like netting them keep them in the net as long as you can and yeah different techniques that help them yeah keep them in the water yeah uh as much as you can if you're going to take a picture be quick about it mm -hmm. Don't grab them by the gills. <laughs> don't um, grab them by the teeth. Yeah, don't, don't grab, grab them, them by, by the, the teeth. teeth. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of information out there uh, about how to handle those fish. And even at like some of our access points mm -hmm. on, on places that we've got musky fisheries, we've got signage out there that tells people mm -hmm. how to approach musky fishing so that a released fish is a live fish. Yeah. And I guess uh, you said... Mainly crankbaits and things like that, or, or, or maybe big 
Jerk baits. And, oh, gosh. I mean, it's, they, it's baits bigger than this sheet of paper. <laughs> it's the really big baits. Even, you know, they, you know they're, they're targeting big prey items. Yeah. And so uh, people go after them with some big gear. Um, <laughs> and even, you know, with the fly fishing stuff, there you see people. Wow. A fly flies that big, that, really? Uh, yeah, they're huge. Um, <laughs> Two-handed cast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You think they, they call them fish of 10,000 cast. You know, you're going to have a pretty big arm after you're done there yeah but, um yeah wow. and i guess one more question on on fishing for them the strike i mean if people are coming down here in uh, in the winter months they must still be pretty active in the winter months you know bass kind of slow down their mm -hmm. strike in the winter but muskies still hit hard still still they're eating sure you know? sure yeah so yeah. it's still a fun fish to catch year round and they're hard hitting fish mm -hmm. i mean it's the it's i've heard people say it's the eat you know, it's the, it's that bam. Yeah, it's the bite. Yeah, but people do. You know, if if you're fishing for them, uh, and and a lot of times they're caught incidentally, but if you're targeting them, you know, just just be mindful of the time you're fighting them and try to get them in and mm -hmm. get them back in the water. Um, so one of the things I know about McMinnville too is they do their annual cleanup, and you talked about um, musky spawning and what their needs are. So so I think a good thing to mention <coughs> another thing that anglers can do to help is. Watch that water cleanliness. Sure, sure. I mean, we've got to have good habitat out there for good fisheries. And, you know, sedimentation is, is, uh, is still an issue out there that impacts habitat. Um, and, you know, having, having good, hot, healthy riparian areas that don't have a lot of holes punched in them and keeping the sediment out of the streams is really key to, um, to having good healthy fisheries there are other factors that are involved uh, or other things that can influence it that are uh, still related to land use around mm. a river or a reservoir and so you know we always need just need, need to be mindful of what's going into the streams uh, because again you got to have healthy water for healthy fisheries yeah. So I want to touch base on the state record, um, and then we'll come back to maybe some information that we can find online. But tell us about that state record. Uh, came Yikes. out of Milton Hill. <laughs> um, and uh, golly, you know, I'm drawing a blank on the <laughs> weight of the fish. Oh, it's 40. right there, right on the wall? No, that was the previous. Oh, that's the previous one. Okay. Yes. Um, that was broken after we, we got that made. <laughs> wow. Uh, but it's a, it was a behemoth. Yeah. It was a big fish. It was a beast. So people um, can find more information on the muskie at tnwildlife.org. Any other information, um, like the signs that are um, at some of our ramps, just ask people to watch, keep waterways clean, and watch that safe handling and go after them. Yeah, go after the fish of how many casts? Oh, 10,000 <laughs> 10, or so. 10,000 or so. And the jackfish uh, of 10,000 no, casts. You can move. You'll enjoy moving a fish. Even. <laughs> Just moving a fish is exciting. Yeah. Uh, it, it's getting me fired up. I think I will have to plan a trip and get some video of this. and be fun to get out there and chase them. Uh, Mark, thank you for all you do. Thank you for uh, your work you've put in since 1986. Man, you've been... Uh, moving fisheries along since 1986. That's awesome. It's a lot of fish. Yeah. But appreciate your work. Appreciate you, Mimi, for helping line this up. Fun. Thanks, Mark. And, oh, you're uh, welcome. Pleasure thank, to be here. Thank you guys for tuning in, for watching, for listening, for uh, following us. Remember our social media is out there, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Catch us on YouTube. And uh, for all things wildlife, tnwildlife.org. This is Tennessee Wildcast. We'll see you next time.
Thanks for tuning in. Stay connected with TWRA by visiting our website at tnwildlife.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, it's all about Tennessee wildlife. It's what we do. Tennessee Wildcast will be on the air again next week. We'll see you then.